Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly welcoming you here on board for this week's show. And what a busy week. Again, it's just me solo uh, hosting the show this week. Kevin's still very busy with soccer today and everything that's going on at the FIFA World Cup in Russia. And guys, I'm a big soccer guy as well. Many of you uh, follow my other podcast and my soccer work. And I'm absolutely loving the World Cup over in Russia right now. Absolutely unpredictable. Some some bizarre results, but fantastic. And it's the best time of year. I've been looking forward to this, I think, ever since the Formula One calendar came out for 2018. We've got the World Cup on. We're right in the middle of that. Group stage is coming to an end. And we're right in the midst of a Formula One triple header, the first time in history. We had France last weekend. We've got Austria this weekend. Weekend thereafter is the British Grand Prix. And then, wow, a week off in between before we have the German and Hungarian Grand Prix at the end of the month. What's up with that? But hey, I guess everybody deserves a day off now and then. And the same goes with Formula One. Just a programming note, at the beginning of August, when Formula One is on the annual summer break, we will probably be taking a week or so off ourselves when uh, we're going to take our holidays too. Kevin and I have been very busy, not just with this show, but with many other things. So if we do sneak things uh, or sneak away for a week or so, then, well, (laughs) we'll try to come back as soon as we possibly can. Anyways, as I mentioned, there are plenty of things going on in the Formula One world, starting with news that the FIA is on target to release their 2021 engine regs later this week. Charlie Whiting had said that he was confident that these uh, regulations would be published by the end of the June, which we are almost at right now. The basic concept and outline for the 2021 engines were released in November of last year, but since then they've been working towards the more detailed, the uh, basically the exact regulations of what the engines are going to be like. They're going to stick with the 1.6 V6 turbo hybrids in 2021 and beyond, but it's going to feature a number of significant changes, including cost reductions, uh, a boost in power, improve the noise, and the, well, the noise thing <laughs> I think has been an issue ever since the uh, the, the new V6 hybrid uh, engines came out. I was at the Spanish Grand Prix in 2014, and it had been a number of years uh, since I'd attended a, a Grand Prix in person, being all the way out on the west coast of Canada makes it a little bit difficult to get to uh, a Grand Prix because there's no tracks really close to here. Anyhow, I was 
really surprised at the difference, uh, the, how quiet they actually were. I remember listening in, uh, to the very fir- first race of that year at Melbourne in Australia. Even on TV, I came across how quiet the cars actually are. They've become a little bit louder since then, but I know it sounds like such a trivial thing, but to, to Formula One, I think the noise and the sound of the power was really sort of intrinsic and, and part of the... I don't know the lure, the the attraction to the sport. So it's good to see that they are doing something to improve it. Uh, one of the other things that they're doing is that they are going to remove the MGUH unit, which is uh, the part of the hybrid system that recovers the energy from the turbo. They're going to relax fuel restrictions. They're going to up the engine revs uh, by three thousand uh, RPM uh, to eighteen thousand RPM. So that's uh, well. From up from fifteen thousand, which is not uh, a small thing, and that increase in in revs is uh, a bid to improve the noise. And they've been working, the FIA that is, has been working with uh, the four existing engine manufacturers in in Formula One. So that's Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault, and Honda, as well as a new engine manufacturer, which I think is absolutely fascinating. The the, the rumor around is perhaps that is Porsche, which is, uh, of course, a very well-known mark and uh, a a company, a a brand that has plenty of racing experience. And I think it would be uh, absolutely uh, wonderful to see them come into Formula Formula One, and that has been one of Liberty Media's who uh, goals, and they're the the commercial rights holder for Formula One after they took over and bought out uh, Bernie Ecclestone and unceremoniously kicked him to the curb about a year or so ago, was to uh, make the uh, the sport more attractive for manufacturers, um, not not only just uh, for engines but uh, constructors as well. So it'll be fascinating to see who was actually revealed as this uh, new fifth uh, engine manufacturer. So we will sit here with bated breath and await uh, the uh, announcement uh, as it comes later this week or perhaps or early next week. And I, I really hope that they get it right. And this sort of dovetails nicely into um, uh, other news that the uh, 2019 aero changes are set to be uh, signed off. And this is something that uh, that some people were taken quite sur- uh, by by surprise by. Uh, I guess it was about maybe a month or six weeks ago that uh, the FIA Formula One had basically forced through these um, these aerodynamic changes through at the very last minute. Uh, they have a, a certain deadline in the year where they they are able to do so without having to require approval from the from the teams. So Ross Braun has uh, confirmed that these uh, aerodynamic regulations have been fully agreed to by the teams and. Wow, when when did that ever happen in Formula One? Formula One, we know, is in the past has always been controversial. There always seems to be some sort of mega debate going on, and I don't ever remember to hear or hearing whenever the teams agreed on anything. Anyways, uh, these regulations are going to be signed off at the next strategy group meeting on July fourth, which is uh, the middle of next week. And that's interesting because uh, when they came out with this uh, proposal or these uh, announced the rule change, it wasn't really a a proposal. They really forced it through at the end of April that uh, there was a concept of simplified wings and brake ducts, uh, which they really think is going to overtake or aid overtaking. Uh, they did find, after investigating and looking into it further, that there were loopholes in the proposal that needed to, to be uh, closed. So this actually led to some really extended discussions with the team's technical directors, and they ironed out the details uh, at a meeting of the, the technical working group last week. And the team bosses are actually ready to sit down, put 
sign off on it. So that's a, a really, really interesting uh, development, like I was saying. Uh, Braun also went on to say that the 2019 regulations are not only useful to um, contributing to what are going to be bigger changes for 2021 when the, the, the current set of rules and regulations uh, expire, but he said it's also a test case uh, in terms of cooperation between the Formula One teams, the FIA, the engineers uh, that are led by Ross Braun and, uh, and, and Formula One to study uh, future ideas. And uh, I'm speechless. <laughs> Guys, I'm literally speechless. I Like I say, I do not remember uh, any issue in Formula One that was agreed to so readily, especially when there seemed to be some uh, initial blowback from the teams, uh, you know, a month or six weeks ago, whenever it was, uh, that uh, that they, at first, they weren't really too keen on the idea, but it seems to have died down. And perhaps this is Perhaps now we're starting to see the, the the fact that maybe the teams are starting to work closer with Formula One. Maybe that the, there is some small signs of of trust and cooperation, which we never saw in the uh, in the Bernie Ecclestone era. I mean, uh, we only just heard a couple of months ago that that Ferrari was threatening to to quit Formula One. And if you go back to the previous news section, and you know, we, we hear that all the engine manufacturers are working closely with Formula One, and that talk has really seemed to have disappeared from the Scuderia, which uh, again is uh, amazing. (laughs) Of course, uh, we'll have to see how the rest of the 2021 uh, regulations come along. And that's not only going to be what's happening with the cars, both uh, inside and outside, but also what happens uh, away from the cars, away from the tracks. I'm talking more about like the broadcasting, the distribution of uh, the, the money that Formula One makes. And uh, all that was historical status. That seems to be the big contention. And of course, this proposed um, salary, not salary cap, budget cap, or the, the the cost reduction, whatever you want to call it, just a way to sort of rein in the spending and maybe try and bring a little bit of a parity to, to, to Formula One. And of course, I think it's going to be all these things that ultimately will play a factor in who signs up for, for Formula One in 2021. And I'm not just talking about Ferrari, but probably the rest of the, uh, the teams that are on the grid right now. But certainly very, very interesting that, like I say, the Ferrari talk of threatening to leave Formula One seems to have died down and... Who knows? It could be promising uh, to, to see a future where there is greater cooperation between all the entities and stakeholders in, in the sport. And I think that would be good for, for everyone involved, not just those racing in Formula One, but those in the media, the fans, sponsors. I think that uh, it looks to be a very promising start to what could be a very promising future. So let's keep on the subject of uh, the, the technical side and Total Wolf, the team principal at uh, Mercedes, said he believes that the Ferrari, Mercedes and Renault engines are very e- evenly matched. And uh, he says that it's pretty close. <laughs> That's what he describes the gap or the difference uh, between them. And uh, of course, uh, this weekend after delaying their upgraded power unit uh, at the Canadian Grand Prix at uh, Montreal a couple of weeks ago, uh, Mercedes finally brought its 2.1 spec to Paul Ricard last week to the French Grand Prix. And well, it's really was really impressive. Let's just put it that way. Lewis Hamilton uh, was uh, very dominant. Of course, he sees pole position. He led from start to finish, and he was uh, very dominant. Of course, uh, 
He was helped, of course, by Sebastian Vettel in the Ferrari taking out his teammate Valtteri Bottas at turn one, which we'll get to in a couple of minutes. But uh, of course, since 2016, sorry, 2014, when the V6 hybrid turbos were introduced in Formula One, Mercedes has really been that gold standard, that benchmark that everybody else has been trying to reach. They've not only had the power, they've had the reliability, and they've had the engine that basically everybody else wanted to have. Um, We've seen over the years, of course, Ferrari's been able to close the gap a little bit. Renault seems to be getting a little bit better. Honda, of course, is trying to catch up. We all know the drama that uh, they've had with McLaren, so we won't get into that right now. We'll get into that in a minute, sort of. But uh, Wolf admitted that uh, although that they, they had some good performance, obviously, with the works car, specifically uh, Hamilton, that he was concerned about the reliability, which affected some of the Mercedes-powered uh, teams. Force India, of course, having uh, a bad day. Esteban Ocon, of course, uh, did not make it past the first lap, but that was due to an accident he had with Pierre Gasly. But his uh, teammate, Sergio Perez, uh, retired later in the way, uh, race, and that was uh, obviously a real disappointment. And just to finish that off, and uh, Wolf has said, quote, I believe that all three power units are pretty close together between Renault, Ferrari, and ourselves at the moment. It's all about finding gains without compromising reliability. That's the trick. And of course, easier said than done. Uh, improvements and gains on the track in Formula One and gains in performance uh, are usually in the fractions of seconds, but fractions of seconds here or there add up. And of course, that's basically what it's all about. And you get a winning package with uh, like Mercedes had over the past several years with a, a great chassis, a fantastic engine, and one of the best drivers of all time, Lewis Hamilton, well, history is just going to write itself, and that's basically what we've seen. Four world championships for uh, Lewis Hamilton, and, uh, well, three for him at Mercedes, one for uh, his uh, former teammate, now retired, Nico Rosberg, and a whole bunch of constructors' championships. So Mercedes have been getting it done, but interesting uh, for uh, Wolf to say that uh, that Renault is, uh, is catching up as well, and... Uh, well, we'll wait and see whether or not Renault made the right, or sorry, not Renault, but uh, Red Bull made the right choice to uh, part uh, ways with Renault for 2019 and 2020 and uh, choose the Honda engines. It uh, could be one of the, these moves that's, you know, if they pull it off, it's going to look like a stroke of genius by Christian Horner and the rest of the, the, the Red Bull team, or it could come off to be a disaster. And talking about disasters, yes, I hinted at it just a few minutes ago. Let's talk about McLaren. Uh, Eric Boulier, the McLaren racing director, said that only works teams can win championships. And he uh, admitted that McLaren is unlikely to fight for a championship as long as it is a customer uh, of uh, Renault rather than a works team, which is kind of interesting. I mean, they were a works team under Honda and, uh, well, Honda moving forward is uh, not with McLaren with this year obviously they're only powering Red Bull next year they'll be uh, supplying Red Bull and Toro Rosso but neither of them will be slapped with the uh, with the works team tag they will both be badged as customers so I, I think that's kind of a, an interesting uh, admission and then um, uh, McLaren of course as, uh, in the first year of an engine deal which will take them uh, up to 2020 with Renault so we'll wait and see how that works so that was after three years that they had uh, 
a horrible, horrible outing with Honda. They just were not there in terms of performance or reliability when they came back into Formula One compared to the other engine manufacturers at the beginning of 2014. Obviously, uh, <laughs> some were better than others, but they were all much better prepared. The uh, the, the, the Renaults, the Ferraris, and the Mercedes were much uh, more prepared going into the hybrid turbo era compared to, to Honda, who came in uh, somewhat later in the game. But another interesting admission from uh, Eric Boulier is he believes that uh, even though they're better off with uh, Renault power in the short term, he admits that the team's problems are with the chassis. And that is a really, really big admission to me because uh, I I think, uh, you know, you go back and look at what's been happening with McLaren over the past couple of years. And every time that there was a problem, well, I mean, some some of the uh, the, the problems they did have were pretty obvious when uh, the car was underpowered or blowing up in a big puff of smoke. I mean, that's pretty obvious that's going to be the engine. But when it came to the stuff that McLaren was producing in-house, They've been saying that their chassis was among the best in Formula One. And uh, this year, when you see they have the improved Renault engine, they're not even close to being able to match the speed of uh, the other Renault power teams being Red Bull and the Renault works team themselves. Uh, Renault, though the works team, of course, still in the process of this uh, this mid to long term project to get back to the top of Formula One. Of course, they seem to improve each and every year. And this year, a little bit better. I'd say they're kind of the best of the rest. I guess if you want to, I guess if uh, you have, uh, sorry, not McLaren, (laughs) they're definitely not at the front, pardon me. If you have Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull fighting it out for the top uh, three spots, then I think that's fair to say that uh, that Renault would be the best of the rest outside of the top three. And uh, we'll have to wait and see how long it takes them to to get back to the front there. But yeah, McLaren can't uh, can't even match them. So to hear one of the big wigs at McLaren actually admit that and and uh, Boulier said, quote, the car this year is obviously not working exactly how we expect. We, we're still using this as an experimental experience. So, hey, I guess if you're not going to score wins, if you're not going to get podiums and point finishes are far and few between, they haven't uh, finished in the point since the Spanish Grand Prix about what, six weeks ago now? Yeah, I guess it's about the middle of May. So, well, yeah, six weeks ago. So it's been a, a bit of a dry run. So it's... Uh, I, I, to me, that sounds almost defeatist, don't you think, uh, from, uh, from from Boulier? It sounds like that uh, the, the team, to a certain uh, degree, is uh, admitting that uh, this is not going to be their year again. So they're, they're, they're basically using it as a, an experience to evaluate the car and learn, learn where they've gone wrong. Because the, uh, the aero upgrade that they introduced in Spain uh, just has not worked. Obviously, they've got a good engine. The chassis and uh, the bits underneath the hood away from the engine, just not getting it done. Anyways, moving along to McLaren driver Fernando Alonso says he hopes that Paul Ricard, the struggles are just a one-off. And talk about a change in fortunes in less than a week for Fernando Alonso. Two weeks ago, he's uh, in the winning team of the the number eight Honda at, sorry, number eight Honda, shame on me, the number eight Toyota at Le Mans winning uh, for the first time there, completing the second leg of this triple triple crown, Fernando riding on a cloud until he came to Paul Ricard. I, I can't believe that the same driver had two completely different fortunes 
in the same country in the same sport, albeit a, a different formula of uh, of racing in less than a week. But uh, he said uh, Alonso is uh, is confident that uh, McLaren will be more competitive in Austria after he was classified dead last at the French Grand Prix. Shocking. Another thing absolutely shocking. Uh, McLaren, they struggled all weekend for performance, and Alonso and teammate Stoffel van Doren were both uh, eliminated uh, from Q1 in qualifying. And uh, like I was saying, it was the, uh, the, the another, well, it's not a DNF, but <laughs> it was another race where they didn't score points. So, well, basically kind of, sort of, but not really the same thing. And Alonso summed it up by saying this was by, worse, the, uh, by far the worst performance of the year. So I really hope it is a one-off and not the normality. All right. Well, it's been uh, been long enough. Let's talk about the the race itself. It uh, well, what an interesting and exciting opening lap. What a lot of drama between the first what was it three cor- uh, three corners. Of course, uh, starting that race, we had um, Lewis Hamilton was on pole position. It was another uh, Mercedes uh, lockout uh, with Valtteri Bottas starting in P2. Then we had Vettel and Max Verstappen on row two, Ricardo and Raikkonen on row three. No big surprise that the top six spots were all filled by Mercedes, Ferrari, and uh, and Red Bull. But uh, a, a decent uh, performance from Carlos Sainz to finish uh, or qualify in seventh. But the performance of the afternoon was uh, by Charles Leclerc, the Sauber driver. Eighth, qualified in eighth. Uh, a wonderful performance by the, the, the young Frenchman. Of course, that was uh, helped uh, a little bit by the fact that uh, Romain Grosjean has uh, completely forgotten how to drive a Formula One car and uh, once again crashed. This time in Q3, ended up uh, putting it into the tires. And uh, his run of bad luck just continues. And, well, can, can we start the Rogro has got to go hashtag? I think that he's uh, certainly living on borrowed time. Uh, again, if you go back and listen to the show last week, we talked about how Zach Brown, the CEO at uh, McLaren, was saying that uh, they had uh, received uh, three inquiries about uh, signing uh, Lando Norris, uh, who's the uh, NF2 and a, a McLaren contracted driver. Uh, he's leading the championship. Uh, Toro Rosso had uh, inquired about uh, getting him to replace Brendan Hartley for the rest of this year and part of uh, 2019. McLaren said no, and and uh, I speculated at the time that uh, the other two teams, if uh, you know uh, Brown is being uh, completely forthcoming in his comments, uh, were possibly um, Haas, who's had a. You know, I mean, Grosjean has not scored a single point this year, and we're already a, a third of the way through the season, and uh, his luck is just going from worse to worse. And of course, uh, the other one I speculated on was uh, perhaps that the uh, the third team that could possibly be looking into uh, securing Lando Norris's uh, services uh, was Williams, because why not? <laughs> they got two young drivers in Stroll and Sorotkin, and uh, neither of them are doing uh, very much at, uh, at, at Williams. Of course, uh, well, they don't have a great car either. Uh, of course, uh, Stroll, uh, he had a, a puncture uh, late in the race and uh, did not finish. And then uh, Sergei Sorotkin finished in P15, one lap down, just uh, ahead of uh, Fernando Alonso. So very disappointing again. Well, actually, Fernando uh, did not finish the race, so Sorotkin finished dead last in that one. So again, not really uh, all that great, but uh yeah, wow. It uh 
let's let's talk about the start now. Uh, of course, uh, like I said, uh, you had uh, Lewis Hamilton, but I, I thought it was interesting when uh, they 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 started when the lights went green. Hamilton got off pretty good. Botas got off pretty good, but Vettel. I don't know if he had uh, the the better car on the day. We're, we're never going to know, of course, or if he just got a good slipstream down that uh, that that straight there at Paul Ricard. But going into the, the that first corner, he was right up on the gearbox of Lewis Hamilton. He was inside on Valtteri Botas, made up that uh, that ground, stuck to the inside line of the track. Botas left him a little bit of room, uh, but was not going to uh, to, uh, to to give up that uh, position. He was going to keep out front and uh, keep his nose ahead being uh, wide on the, uh, the the turn into turn one, which is a left-hander. He would have had the inside line for turn two. Sebastian Vettel outbraked him, uh, outbraked himself, locked it up, crashed into Valtteri Bodas, setting off a bit of a chain reaction, uh, knocked a, well, <laughs> completely destroyed his nose, uh, punctured uh, Bodas's tire, damaged his floor. Both of them limped back to the pits and uh, rejoined uh, the the field dead last, uh, the, the two of them. But after that uh, chaos, uh, we had in turn three, sorry, turn four, we had uh, Pierre Gasly and uh, Esteban Ocon come together. So unfortunately, you had two of the three French drivers going out in the very first lap of the race, which was uh, which was very disappointing to see. And then, of course, the uh, the end result in that was a safety car, which lasted uh, for several laps. And then uh, Botas and, uh, as I say, Vettel uh, ended up at the very back of the field. But once things um, started going again, once they went back to racing, it was impressive to watch uh, Sebastian Vettel, who had uh, switched uh, to the, the, the hardest compound tires available which was the, uh, the the soft tires. Of course, starting the race, uh, Vettel had started on the ultra soft and the Mercedes cars. I believe both of them. I know Hamilton was on the super softs. So I'm not sure about Botas, but that also could have uh, been uh, part of the reason that uh, that Vettel was so quick off the line. But, uh, or sorry, uh, Vettel deciding to, to go for a long stint and there was some speculation uh, that uh, perhaps he might be able to go the, the length of the race, but he really scythed his way through the field. He, uh, from 20th, he he was, or sorry, by lap 20, he was already all the way up to a uh, fifth position and the cars in front of him, well, well, they'd be the ones that uh, you'd basically expect. Uh, you had Kimi Raikkonen and the, the the two Red Bulls. I think Carlos Sainz was in there as well, I think at that point, and then he got past him. But once he'd got past everybody else that wasn't driving uh, a Mercedes or a Ferrari or a Red Bull, uh, by the time he was uh, behind his teammates, uh, Kimi Raikkonen in fifth, well, I think he was about seven. 17 and a half or 18 seconds behind and that was about uh, as close as he got I think that uh, that Kimi uh, of course was um, he was lapping or he he had the softer compound tires but I think at that point it, it was interesting because they were lapping similar times like almost identical times I noticed uh, Seb on the harder on the on the not on the hard tires but on the soft compound tires compared to uh, what his teammate was uh, was running and uh, both of them uh, had a significant amount of laps on them but but I kind of wonder if maybe uh, Vettel had uh, maybe took a, a little bit too much out of those tires too quickly and uh, was not able to go the the the, uh, the entire race distance and then ended up having to make a, a pit stop later in the race. And by that point, he was never going to, to make up any more uh, ground. He was never going to, to get any further than that. And of course, uh, at that point, uh, or later in the race, uh, we did see Kimi Raikkonen uh, pass Daniel Ricciardo. It was looking for, uh, pretty good for uh, Red Bull at one point. Uh, they were never going to push Lewis Hamilton. Lewis was basically out there just 
having a, a nice Sunday drive and uh, unless he had a mechanical problem, then he was not going to, he was not going to lose that race because uh, I, I felt starting that race, uh, I was saying uh, before the lights even went green, I, I felt that uh, that there, there was a podium on for Max Verstappen. I just had, uh, had a feeling. Seems like Max has got his head in the right place uh, the last couple of races and he's looked more focused and it uh, looks like that uh, perhaps he's uh, snapped out of this funk and broke this, uh, this run of bad luck and, uh, and and, uh, you know, accidents and crashes and uh, running off of the track that's plagued him all the way through the season up until uh, Monaco. But uh, he had a good race a couple of weeks ago in Canada, continued that on in France. So I felt he was good for, for third, maybe second. Uh, that was, of course, uh, before Vettel knocked out uh, Botas. I figured that uh, I just had a feeling that that race was going to be, uh, I, I just had a feeling Hamilton was going to win. He just looked very good in, in qualifying. The Mercedes obviously was uh, running very well at Paul Ricard. I figured it was going to be Hamilton Vettel, and I had a feeling that uh, that Max was going to uh, to finish third in that one. Uh, I don't know. I never really predicted how it would turn out for Raikkonen or Botas or Ricardo, but uh, I was kind of sort of right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Vettel, of course, he was the uh, yeah he was the scapegoat for all of that, and and rightly so. Um, I, I was debating it during the race whether or not that was just a, a racing incident, but the more I looked at it, I, I was not surprised that uh, that he was handed that uh, five second stop and go f- penalty for causing the accident. Uh, that uh, took out Botas, and there was a lot of backlash uh, from uh, the, the the Mercedes guys. Nicky Lauda, being Nicky Lauda, never afraid to to voice his opinion uh, opinion, and he said it was uh, too uh, too lenient. And uh, he said, uh, "quote There's more time they can give him. That is what I mean. Five seconds is nothing. He destroyed the whole race for himself and uh, and Botas. Well, yeah, that's that that's a, a good question. I mean, obviously." Um, he he's going to be uh, biased obviously being the the non-executive chairman at uh, at, at Mercedes but I don't know. I, I'm going to put it out to you guys. What, what do you think? Do you think that that five seconds was uh, the, the correct amount of time for a penalty for Sebastian Vettel, considering he got out of that uh, that incident um, almost scot free to a certain extent? I mean, obviously fifth position was not the result that uh, that Vettel wanted for his uh, championship uh, hopes and his uh, challenge. Obviously, uh, now he went into that race leading Lewis Hamilton by a single point, and now. He has uh, dropped 14 points behind Lewis in the uh, in the drivers' championship. But the thing is, and that and this is the big thing, is that even though he did have damage, he did more damage to Botas's car, and you could tell the the difference between the two of them fighting their way back up through the field, and that uh, that was uh, the, the the big difference. Valtteri Botas only managed to finish seventh. Uh, by the time it was all said and done, and that was two spots uh, behind Sebastian Vettel. And you don't often see uh, Valtteri Bottas finishing behind Kevin Magnussen in the Haas. So I, I think that uh, that Lauda is making a, a pretty good case for it. But I don't know. I, I think five seconds seemed uh, appropriate. Lewis also uh, mentioned after the race that he felt that uh, that it was uh, it didn't really add up. He said that uh, it was disappointing because he th- uh, thought that Mercedes had the chance for a one-two. 
And uh, that was the ultimate goal within the the, the team and that uh, Valtteri had been, uh, done another solid job all weekend as he's done all year. So Lewis uh, playing the, the, the good teammate. But the one thing he also didn't uh, really dip his toes into is he was asked in the press conference after the race if he was uh, surprised by the amount of incidents that Sebastian Vettel gets involved in. And he said he wasn't going to get into it. <laughs> he said he knew what uh, what what the the, the 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 press was getting at, but uh, he said, well, he said it was basically a racing incident and going to turn one, and those things can happen. And of course, we do. We we see it fairly often in races. You you get all these cars. Everybody's all revved up. Everybody wants to be that first car into the into into the first corner. They all want to be in front of the car in front of them. And from time to time, things do happen. And uh, but at least from Lewis's point of view, he said he had to really break deep going into that corner because when he's looking into his mirrors, all he saw was a, a mirror full of uh, Mercedes in one mirror, a mirror full of Ferrari in the other mirror, and he thought he was going to be rear-ended and perhaps maybe to a certain degree, uh, maybe unconsciously, <laughs> he might have been relieved that uh, that neither Sebastian Vettel or uh, Valtteri Bottas hit him going through the, uh, the, the first corner. Because, I mean, admit it, I mean, say that uh, Vettel, who, uh, who locked it up, hits Valtteri Bottas or rear-ends uh, Lewis Hamilton and all three cars go out or at least run off the track there, that would have flipped the entire field on its head. I think he would have had at that point uh, Max Verstappen, if I'm not mistaken, although he did have to take evasive action and have to kind of run off the track there, but... Uh, let's just uh, take that away for the second. I think we would have had um, the, uh, the the field would have been uh, led by Verstappen, Ricardo, and Kimi Raikkonen, if I'm not mistaken, at that point. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, Kimi was in front of Daniel Ricardo at that point. Probably not, but it would have uh, made for a very interesting, interesting Grand Prix. All right. Well, what else was there to talk about in that one? Oh, yeah. I know what uh, what I was going to say is that uh, I was again very very impressed by uh, Charles Leclerc. Uh, again, uh, the the young Frenchman finishing in the points in tenth. He was uh, disappointed with that. Uh, of course, he uh, he dropped a couple of uh, positions during the race. He, he uh, claims a single point off of that. Which uh, which means another point for him, and uh, he is currently fourteenth in the uh, in the drivers' championship. I mean, that doesn't sound all that great. He's only got eleven points, but I, I mean, I think that's imp- very very impressive. Very very impressive. His uh, teammate Marcus Ericsson only has two points, which he scored at uh, Bahrain earlier in the year when he scored a P nine. And uh, Charles Leclerc is, um, honestly, he's miles ahead of his teammate. And uh, I think it's uh, very, very uh, impressive. Uh, I know that there has been these uh, these rumors that uh, that um, that Raikkonen will not be back at uh, Ferrari next year and that uh, perhaps uh, Ferrari, or Ferrari will do something that they've never done in their, uh, in their history and give uh, a youngster like Charles Leclerc, who I believe is just uh, only 20 years old, a seat uh, at Ferrari. All right, well, let's uh, talk a little bit now about... Uh, Max Verstappen, uh, we were just talking just now, uh, how, how impressive he was this past weekend uh, in, in France. Again, uh, a solid performance. Again, l- let's be fair, probably aided a little bit by uh, two cars with better engines uh, and better packages in front of them in, uh, in Vettel and Botas cancelling each other out or... Vettel canceling himself and Bottas out in in turn one, but uh, Max, 
uh, I, I'm glad to see him turn around. I've been critical of him and the, and the mistakes that he's been making. Uh, however, I, I have sort of um, prefaced that with uh, the the, uh, the disclaimer, if you want to call it that, that uh, that when Max is on his game and when he's uh, driving to the capabilities that we we know he is able of uh, able to do, that uh, that Formula One is better with Max in there and Max being himself, but he did lash out at the media after the uh, after the uh, after the race and uh, when uh, he was uh, questioned by motorsport.com just about uh, what he thought um, about Sebastian Vettel's crash he jokes saying I think next time you see Seb maybe you should tell him to change his style because honestly it's not acceptable so I think that's uh, I think that's a great comment Uh, Max obviously not afraid to stand up and uh, defend himself because he's uh, really really uh, come under a lot of scrutiny a lot of criticism uh, from fans, from uh, from media, even from uh, within his own team, uh, and and that's been one of the things that perhaps he needed to change his style. So uh, he went on to say that uh, that's that criticism is what he got at the the beginning of the year, and uh, he believes that, uh, well, perhaps jokingly, but uh, perhaps maybe not so much. He said that if he's going to get criticized for that, then why should Vettel not be uh, criticized for the same thing? And then so he went on to explain himself saying that he doesn't think that Vettel should do anything to change his uh, his, uh, his racing style. He should just get in the car, drive again, learn from what he did and uh, and go on. He said that was his advice to uh, to not just uh, Vettel but uh, but uh, but everybody else in Formula 1. And uh, Max dropping truth bombs <laughs> being I think a uh, very mature sounding uh, in that. And uh, he said, uh, he went on to say that you have to learn from your mistakes, but uh, you can't change the way you approach formula one and the, the, the way that, uh, that you, ro- you, you race, you can fine tune it, but change your style. How do you do that? <laughs> it's, it's impossible. I mean, if, if Max changed his style, he would not be Max Verstappen and he would not be as much fun to watch as he has been over the, uh, the, the, the past couple of years. And I, I think he's fair because he was frustrated, obviously, with uh, what he called all the stupid comments on social media and from journal- uh, journalists. And uh, he said he wasn't going to hold back and that, because that's what he feels. And uh, I think that's uh, that's his right. That's his prerogative. And uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was good to see. I was glad to see Max step up and uh, and fight for himself. All right, uh, just uh, another note about uh, the the French Grand Prix, and I think this is kind of cool. The um, FIA is open to dropping the chicane that is on the the Mistral Strait, sort of about half to two thirds of the way down. And uh, the 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 theory is that it will improve the racing, and uh, they've uh, just uh, decided to look at it because uh, the drivers that had raced raced or tested uh, the uh, the circuit without the chicane in place said that there'd be more slipstreaming uh, on the longer straight, and then with the lower downforce levels that the teams would be using during the race turn 10 and the rest of the track would be more of a challenge of course it gets uh, quite twisty there's several corners before they come back onto the pit straight and uh, that would be cool always up for things like that uh, always in favor of uh, uh, measures that can be introduced to improve racing and improve overtaking so hopefully they do and hopefully it'll be make a difference 
I just wanted to, to, to ask you guys what uh, what you thought of the uh, the the runoff areas at uh, at Paul Ricard. Those painted strips, those uh, white, blue, and red. Obviously, the uh, also the colors of the French flag. Uh, I thought was uh, kind of interesting. Of course, there are abrasive surfaces that are meant to, uh, to to slow down the cars if they leave the track. And of course, the different colors, not only being the colors of the French flag, but also uh, the different colors indicated uh, different levels of abrasiveness that would help. Uh, that are designed to, uh, to to slow the cars down on this grippy paint that they use. But I found when I first started watching qualifying on Saturday, I actually found it a little bit distracting. It was a little bit uh, kind of almost psychedelic, but I, it's, this is just kind of like a, a little bit of a, a tangent to nowhere, but it, uh, it does make for an interesting spectacle when you, especially you see the track from overhead and you see all the different layouts and uh, the, 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 the runoff areas. I think there's something like 160 different track configurations that they could use at uh, Paul Ricard, which is a bit mind blowing, but very cool. But in the end, I think by the time the race was going and uh, the, uh, the the different angles that they used for the television, it uh, wasn't so much of an issue. But uh, definitely a very different look from Formula One that we haven't seen in the past. All right. Well, no rest for the wicked. Uh, Formula One, like I was saying off at the top of the show, uh, will be back this weekend for the second of three races here in the, this month of June and July. And uh, there's news that uh, they have added, added a third DRS zone at the Red Bull ring. So they've uh, been uh, experimenting with the number of DRS zones this year about uh, the, the concerns that uh, drivers are facing uh, overtaking in other cars. So basically you'll have, uh, if you can sort of picture the the Red Bull ring in your mind you have the uh, the start finish straight by the pits it goes up the hill and it goes into a basically a 90 degree corner to the right so along the start finish straight there is one uh, DRS zone there and then we go between uh, turn two and four well there's a slight dog leg to the left after turn one halfway up which is a, a fairly straight section. And then you go into another very sharp uh, right-hander where uh, <laughs> Nico Rosberg and uh, and uh, Lewis Hamilton had a coming together at the Austrian Grand Prix a couple of years ago. And then you go, uh, so that, that long straight section, that will be the new DRS zone and then beyond turn three or turn four, depending how you look at it, if you count that dog leg or not. Now that other long straight at the back there, uh, that will be the third DRS zone before you get uh, into the, the, the twisty section there. And uh, of course, the the Red Bull ring is a fairly short uh, circuit. Uh, the the times aren't as long as uh, some of the uh, the other uh, circuits that uh, that we see uh, qualifying last year at uh, the the Red Bull ring. <clears throat> Valtteri Bottas uh, qualified in pole position and he set a, uh, a Q3 time of 104.251. So one of the shorter lap times that we will see on the Formula One calendar. All right, well, it's time to start uh, wrapping things up. Uh, let's just uh, take a quick look at the uh, the Formula One World Drivers Championship standings. Lewis Hamilton back on top, leading with a total of 145 points. Sebastian Vettel at Ferrari in second with 131 points. Danny Ricardo has now moved into third in the Drivers Championship with 96 points. Valtteri Bottas is now in fourth with 92. Kimi Raikkonen 
83 points on the season puts him in fifth. Max Verstappen is in sixth position with 68 points. Nico Hulkenberg, Fernando Alonso, Carlos Sainz, and Kevin Magnussen rounding out the top 10 in the Drivers' Championship. Kevin Magnussen is on 27 points, so he's got a lot of work to do if he wants to throw himself into the conversation. And of course, I'm just joking. <laughs> Anyways, looking now on the constructor side of the uh, the championship, Mercedes still in front, leading the uh, the constructors' championship with 237 points. Ferrari not really all that far behind, still in touch, second place, 214 points. Red Bull third place with 164 points, and then Renault miles behind, 62 points. McLaren. 40 points, Force India 28 points, Haas Ferrari 27, Toro Rosso 19 points, Sauber Ferrari with 13, and the very sad figure of Williams with four points for the entire year. Anyways, before I go, I just want to thank everybody who listens and downloads this show. I know over uh, the the years, uh, the schedule has sometimes been a little bit erratic. We've uh, tried to stick to a a more regular schedule and uh, release at least one show per week, too, if time uh, permits and if there's enough news to talk about, which there usually is. The show has been growing. We've been getting more downloads, and uh, we've been surpassing ourselves each and every month. So I'd like to thank you all, of course, if you want to help us grow the show you can always leave us a five-star review on uh, apple podcasts stitcher radio google play wherever you download listen to the show and i just want to shout or make a shout out to boris posavec who uh, weighed in on our facebook page which is facebook.com slash f1 pod and uh, boris says listen to your podcast recently maybe the best f1 podcast out there just please don't say michael schumacher anymore he is michael schumacher so okay Fair enough, Boris, but agree to disagree. I'm a little bit too English in my pronunciation, so maybe maybe we can find a little bit of a common ground. Why don't we just call him Shumi and leave him at that? Michael, of course, one of my favorite Formula One drivers of all time. I was a big Schumacher, sorry, Schumacher <laughs> fan back in the day, and uh, especially when he was uh, at his peak in Ferrari when they were winning all those championships uh, and all those constructors' titles uh, earlier in this uh, in this millennium, not even this decade anymore, earlier in the millennium. So thank you very much for that, uh, Boris. And of course, thank you all very much for listening to, to me, if uh, or listening to this program, of course. If you want to get in touch, leave us a, a message on Facebook, send us uh, an email at scudriaf1pod at gmail.com or tweet us at scudriaf1pod. And that's it. That's a wrap. Look forward to the Austrian Grand Prix later this week. Free practice gets underway at 11 a.m. local time at the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg, Austria. And I can't wait. Any weekend with Formula One is a good weekend. And until next time, thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.
Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?